How is everybody? Yeah, it's good to see. You know, I didn't know if anybody would come in the cold, but we're from North Dakota, so what do you expect, right? Um, so um, I have... Uh, so I just want to remind you that sometimes when I find jokes, I find cute jokes. Not hilarious jokes, but cute jokes, okay? These are cute. Um, I asked God for a bike, but I knew that God doesn't work that way. So I stole a bike and asked for forgiveness. So this one, next one, it almost is like sacrilegious, but the more I read it, the more I liked it. Okay. If you're mad about people receiving forgiveness without asking for it or earning it, I have some terrible news about Jesus. That was it. Okay, so we're talking about Jacob and Esau again today. So this is a Jacob and Esau joke. My 10-year high school reunion was this weekend. I ran into these twin brothers I hadn't seen since graduation. And I thought to myself, well, you two still look the same. So I want to tell you, I'm starting to build up a resentment against this service because... um, you've not been appreciative of my amazing sense of humor. So, um, we've been going through the book of Genesis now since September. Uh, We've been talking about how the the people in the book of Genesis um, are not these amazing, righteous people, um, but they're a lot like you and me, a bit dysfunctional, and and yet we have an amazing God. And uh, we've met over the last weeks, Jacob and Esau, these two twin brothers, and uh, several weeks ago now, we learned that, that Jacob stole Esau's birthright. And that seems kind of odd to us, but in that day, it would have been a big deal. And by stealing his birthright, um, Jacob now becomes kind of the heir and, and is in, you know, kind of in the line of God's promises. And so Esau, who's ticked off at his brother Jacob, plots to kill him. That's what we learned. And Jacob gets wind of it. He runs off to Uncle Laban's house. And there, uh, we learned last uh, couple weeks, things weren't perfect, but um, he met, well, some wives that he would have. Um, remember, it's the Old Testament. And, uh, and he uh, had a life, but he wasn't always treated as well as he could have been um, at Uncle Laban's. And so um, Jacob, after years of being away from Esau, decides to go home. And last week, last week, Graceland, last week we talked about how um, we often wrestle with God and we find that there are these in-between times, um, these in-between times of from the mistakes and the struggles that we've had in the past and yet an uncertain future. That's what we talked about last week. Um, the the struggles of the past, and sometimes we're in between there, leaving there, but the future is uncertain. And we talked about that being a time of wrestling with God. So you can go back and watch that um, from last week. But um, here's the deal. Jacob decides to go home to Esau, and he is, of course, wondering if Esau, after all these years, has cooled off and is not trying or wanting to kill him anymore. So grab a Bible, and we're going to turn to Genesis 33. 
Genesis 33. There should be page numbers up on the screen if you brought your own Bible. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Recovery Bible, page 48. Church Bible, page 29. Uh, there should be Bibles around you again. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Then we are going to come back to a couple of verses a little bit later. Um, but uh, let me begin reading at verse 1. Then Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming with his 400 men. You can imagine, a little nervous now. So he divided the children um, among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah with her children. And they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all the flocks and and what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked. Jacob replied, They are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, No, I have found favor with you. Please accept this gift from me. What a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. Please take this gift I brought for you, for God has been very gracious to me, and I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, you can see, my Lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too. They are driven too hard. Even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children, and I will meet you at Seir. All right, said Esau, but at least let me come uh, assign some of my men to guide and protect you. Jacob responded, that's not necessary. It's enough that you've received me warmly, my Lord. You can set that aside, and as I mentioned, we're going to come back to it. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I shared with you that these stories give us an opportunity to kind of take a, um, you know, big view at the story of Jacob and Esau and address topics that you and I deal with all the time. So today we're going to talk about reunification, reconciliation, and making amends. And our question has to do with that today. So here it is. Share a brief story of reunification, reconciliation, or amends. So um, if you'd like to answer the question, I want to give a little emphasis on brief because I know some of these stories can get a little longer. Um, But um, we would love to have a few of you be transparent and help us get started. Um, So we ask a question every week. Flint and Bill will run the mics. You stand up, speak directly in the mic, give us um, your brief answer if you are interested. And um, here we go. So go ahead. Good, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Rora. I, uh, for my men's was, I didn't know my parents for 36 years, and I was able to find them and make amends after all those years of neglect and abuse, and now I'm part of their lives. Hmm. Thank you, Aurora. 
who else be willing to share? Thank you, Misty. Hi, everyone. I'm Misty. Um, so when I was in my uh, relapse, um, I gave my kids to my mother. And it, they were gone for three years, even though I thought it would be two weeks. And um, so when they came home, it was a lot of battles, but we're getting through them. Well, thank you. He'll take care of you, Richard. (laughs) With uh, God's help, I hope to change my behavior so I don't have to keep making amends. Yeah, thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful cold day out, but I hope everybody enjoys. Um, Yes, when I was a little kid, my father left me. He was my hero. He was everything, but he left me, and I have a lot of resentment. But I grew up thinking that I don't want to be like him, and now he sees me as a good father, and he reached out to me, and now we're, we're in our lives again. But God gave me the opportunity to reconcile with him. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, who else? Got time for a couple more? Uh, I'm Brooke. Good morning, everyone. Um, This is my son, Cash. I have been making amends with trying to be not only a good mother, but uh, being a patient mother. Um, um, I have a 16-year-old, almost 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old, too. They're, I thought, would be the hardest to uh, make a relationship and amend my relationship of being gone for two years. But um, we're here. (laughs) Do you want to say something? Uh... Say so. Say good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks, Brooke. All right. One more. Anybody else want to share? One more. One more. All right. Well, now we got two more. So we'll go. That's okay. We'll come, Erica, and then we'll come up front. Okay. I'm Erica. Um, so I had a best friend in college. Her name was Belinda. Um, and she was my very best codependent uh, through my drinking. Uh, she was always my driver, and we lived together, and she got me where I needed to be and took care of me and put up with my abuse. Anyway, um, but I just have those people that stuck with me even when I was such a jerk, and I got the opportunity to make amends to her. Um, and just the grace that she showed me. She has always loved me. She never, like, she always believed in me. Um, and she ended up being in my wedding, and we're close again. Hmm. You know, and so just to experience that grace uh, is incredible. Hmm. Thanks, Erica. All right, we'll wrap up up here. Hi. So I have my daughter, Rhea, here with me. And... Um, we, we've been through some struggles and had spent a couple years apart. And so um, I'm just grateful to God that he's bringing us back together. Yeah. Amen. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. So the, for those of you who don't know Rhea, Rhea just started on our staff as a peer support specialist this week. So you can meet Rhea. Proud of you. Mm-hmm. 
So on Wednesday nights, I lead a Bible study um, right over here, actually. Um, and we've been going through the book of Romans for um, quite some time. And we've gotten to Romans chapter 12. And um, so we were going like chapter to chapter, and then I got to Romans 12, and I remembered how unbelievable Romans chapter 12 is. It's one of the most practical and relevant books of the Bible, or chapters of the Bible. And so I decided uh, to slow down um, in Romans 12, and we're kind of walking through it slowly um, and carefully. And so la- for the last two weeks, we've talked about just the first two verses. And when we talked about verse 2 this last week, I thought, you know what, I want to share a little of this with you today um, to kind of set up a little bit about what I want to talk about in regards to reunification, reconciliation, and amends. So um, here's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, If uh, you can jump ahead there, Callie. Um, Then, nope, I think you have to go back one. Go, go back one slide. There you go. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Next slide. Next slide. <laughs> then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing um, and perfect. So um, I want to... I wanna, um, write, draw something for you over here. I know you get nervous when I start drawing. It's not going to be a heart, okay? It's not going to be a heart today. Um, so you can rest here. I'm going to draw a person. Aurora, you have so little faith. All right. So, um, yeah, we're going to kind of go with a stick person here. Um, and... Uh, um, so people were pretty critical of my person at the last service. Um, so this is um, a person, and um, he's, uh, he's really happy because he's at Lighthouse Church, right? Okay. And, um, okay, I am going to draw a heart. All right. So um, this person has a heart, and one of the things that we have talked about um, for, well, since we started Lighthouse, is the difference between religion um, and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've said that religion, uh, some of you have maybe encountered that in your life where there's these external kinds of messages that, that in order for God to love you and accept you, you have to do these things, maybe not do these things. And so it's kind of an outside-in thing. But we've said that Jesus works differently that the way Jesus works is that when he comes into your life, he moves into your heart, and instead of kind of outside in, he begins to work on the inside out. And so, you know, these changes start to happen in your life, and, you know, you begin to, you know, act differently and feel differently and, and, and think differently. And that's really what I wanted to show you, kind of based upon this verse from uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So what happens when... Um, Jesus moves into our heart is um, he begins to work inside of us and work on the outside. And and I realized this last week that when I was um, reading Romans um, chapter 12 verse 2 that the first way that he begins to work on us is he begins to work on changing the way that we think. And I wanted to to share with you 
that if you are encountering this, this kind of change in your thinking if, since you've come to Lighthouse Church, wanted to kind of make sense of it. What that means is that Jesus is probably working in your life in such a way that your thoughts are beginning to change. And he does that in a lot of different ways. So, for example... You know, if you're trying to do devotions or read the Bible or read other um, spiritual literature, it's going to begin to change the way that you think. But, but when you come to worship, my guess is there's a change in your thinking as you do this on a regular basis. One of the profound ways that, that God actually um, changes the way that we think is through the fellowship of community. And, um, you know, we learn from each other, and we kind of grow, you know, from and through each other. So if God is working in your life, if Jesus is in your heart, and he's kind of working from the inside out and changing the way that you think, um, let's get more specific about some of the things that people sometimes come here with. If you are in or are seeking um, some recovery from an addiction, um, one of the things that I learned, um, you know, I um, have an addiction to alcohol, is I've learned that it is a process of allowing God to change the way that I think. And that the, the more my thinking changes, the more some of my actions have begun to change. How does God do that? He uses the people in your life. He might use literature. Um, and, um, you know, I know that this is why some of you are here. And, you know, in the, in the programs that we participate in, we will sometimes even hear things like, you know, that you, you should act your way into right thinking. Yeah. Like maybe even just doing some things that, you know, you're learning might help change the way that you think because your thinking is really key in finding a recovery. Um, and it guides our lives. Our thoughts guide our lives. If you are dealing with mental health issues, not that very many of you do here in this church. Um, one of the one of the things that you've learned is that if you're dealing with mental health issues, is that it messes with your thinking, Amen. right? Amen. And chances are you struggle with poor self-talk. You think, you know, you, or you hear these messages, I can't do it. Um, I'm not worth it. I'm not of any value. And one of the things that I just want to say, if you have mental health issues, man, I just hope that you're coming to lots of stuff because we want to pour into you right thinking, that those aren't, those aren't messages from God. And, you know, so that's why there's hardly a Sunday that goes by where I don't want to tell you that you are a masterpiece, that you've been created in God's image, that you've been created by God's own hand, that when God made you, he not only broke the mold, but he looked at you and he said, you are very good. That there is a goodness in us that even is worth redeeming through Jesus Christ. And so, you know, the poor self-talk, the mental health issues, it messes with our thinking. Allow God to change the way that you think. If you've got issues going on in the other various arenas of life, like your relationships or your marriage or your work or your friends or lack thereof, I'm going to clue you in on something that chances are you've heard before, but maybe you'll really hear it today. If you think that it is everybody else's fault, it's not. If all your relationships are struggling, you are the common denominator. Yeah. 
If all the arenas of your life, there are struggles, you are probably the one bringing them in. Man, that's so hard for us to accept. So hard for us to accept. And maybe it's time for you and for me to look at ourselves. And, you know, I just remind you of something you know. All you really have control over is yourself. And even that is tenuous and a bit scary. Tell someone it is scary. Allow, invite God to change that the, the way that you think. And can I just say, um, because I know a lot of you, chances are you need a thinking adjustment. Tell someone you need a thinking adjustment. I need a thinking adjustment. Turn back and say, you got that right. <laughs> All right. So I'm wondering, have you ever just asked God, you know, change the way that I think? Change the way that I think. Here's the deal. Um, Life will go better if you begin to accept that you are a human being, that you make mistakes, and you begin to take responsibility, and that, you know, you don't have life all figured out. Life will go better if you accept that most of the people you meet are dealing with stuff that you don't even know about, and they are often just doing the best that they can. And um, I've shared with this, you, th- this with you all of, you know, all of the time over the years, but, but um, it'll be up on the screen. The sign, I think it's the major sign of spiritual growth. Whoop, not sure what happened there. Um, so um, a major sign of spiritual growth is whether or not you look more like Jesus today. Okay, you with me? Um, so, you know, how do you know if you're growing spiritually? It's not just about the things that you know in your head. Um, it's not just about the church you go to. It's not about the church you go to. It's about whether or not Jesus is working in you in such a way that you're starting to look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, love more like Jesus. And um, I've shared with you as well that one of the prayers that I try to say every day is, give me the eyes of Jesus so that I can see people like Jesus saw them. One of the most remarkable things about Jesus is that, is that he was able to look at people and see beyond the exterior, and he was able to see what God had put inside. And it's just really profound. And start praying that prayer every day, I can t- promise you that it's going to change uh, the way that you see people. So here's how that p- kind of plays out in my life. I've come to realize that I probably cannot solve all of your problems, cannot necessarily help you with all of your problems, and I'm going to try to maintain some healthy boundaries as best I can, but I can treat you with love, respect, and dignity. I can treat you with love, respect, and dignity. And I was thinking this week as I was watching, you know, political news about, you know, all the attacks and the division and then hearing about, you know, how many, you know, mass shootings just this week. And I, I'm just thinking about what if, what if people just treated each other with love, respect, and dignity? Wouldn't the world be a little bit better place? Um, be a lot better place. And, um, you know, that's, that's what Jesus is trying to do inside of us. Trying to not just kind of, you know, save you and redeem you and kind of help you with whatever it is that you're dealing with. He wants us to make a better world. 
And, you know, the way that we interact with one another um, says as much about our faith as anything. So, like Jacob, most of us in this room have done some bad things and there have been consequences. Amen? Amen. All right. So there's always a cost to our sin. And um, people have been hurt by our actions. And our actions have potentially even caused separation. There are sometimes resentments on both sides. And it's common here to wonder if healing is possible. Have people ask all the time, is healing possible? Is reconciliation possible? Is reunification possible? So when there are a lot of complex questions, I give you the same answer that I often give you. And the answer is, maybe. Maybe. Maybe there's unification that's possible or, or reconciliation. So let's talk about that, okay? We're going to unpack this a little bit. So I do want to just say really quick to those of you who are in a 12-step recovery program that I know you deal with this stuff all the time. Uh, we talk a lot about the mistakes that we have made and the people that we have hurt. In step four, we take a personal inventory of all of those things and people. In step five, we confess it. In step six and seven, we look at ourselves and the work and work through some of the character defects that we have and what you know God needs to change in us as he's changing the way that we think and we admit it and we ask God to remove it in steps eight and nine we make a list of people whom we have harmed and to whom we make amends and in step nine we make an amends to them um, with the counsel uh, of people in our life and prayer Um, and step 10 step 10 is great on step 10 we try not to add to that list and um, we try to keep the slate kind of clean. And um, one, of the, one of the profound lessons that I have learned in my own recovery journey um, is that, is that um, I should, my, my main job is to take care of myself and my side of the street. And uh, I know that I can't take care of your side of the street. I, frankly, I can't even take care of my own side of the street sometimes. <laughs> and so, you know, that's kind of enough on my, plat, uh, on my plate. And if I can try to kind of do some, you know, management of self and try to get along with others, um, that day's a victory, right? Um, and I've, I've learned um, over these years uh, that, that prank, frankly, everybody... Um, that I've ever met would benefit by a 12-step program. Um, It's just that for some of us, our lives depend on it. And so um, I just wanted to say that in case you're somebody who, you know, has, um, you know, wondered about a 12-step program for, um, you know, maybe you don't deal with an addiction, but it's other kinds of things. You know, our Celebrate Recovery program on Thursday night literally um, is a 12-step program for anybody with a hurt, a hang-up, or a habit. That pretty much includes everybody I know. So there's the invitation. All right. Some things that I've learned. Um, I have learned to accept responsibility for my actions, to take responsibility for my mistakes. 
Um, I've learned um, that there are no buts to be involved. For example, um, I did this, I'm sorry, but no buts, right? Say no buts. buts. You did that well. Um, I have learned that if I owe something that um, I need to pay it back, it's kind of made me wonder if Jacob's gifts that he gives to Esau, you know, we kind of view it as a bribe. It's kind of made me wonder if he deep down felt like he owed Jacob or Esau some things, you know, and he had to make amends and pay that back. Here's a big one. Um, Most of my resentments go both ways, and they are for me to work through. What do I mean by that? Um, Most or many of my resentments, um, you know, um, I might have a resentment with somebody. I might have a resentment. I don't have a resentment with Bonnie, but I might have a resentment with Bonnie. Um, But I've learned that um, at the same time, Bonnie probably has a resentment with me. Most of the the hurt in our lives, it kind of goes both ways. And um, my job is not to kind of solve Bonnie's issues with me. My 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 part is to just take ownership and kind of deal with things on my own, um, in my own life. Um, it's possible, here I'll kind of make this concrete, it's possible that if you think about the person that you love and hurt the most, you are probably both on each other's resentment list. And, and I've learned that, um, you know, saying sorry 17,000 times just doesn't work much um, and go very far. So the stuff still stays there. So in my journey, I know that there are people I've hurt and who have hurt me. And so um, one thing you may or may not know about, about me is I, you know, when my life imploded, I was the senior pastor of a large church in South Fargo. And um, there was really um, kind of no real conclusion to that ministry other than I was kind of asked to go and not come back and I just haven't. And um, I know that, um, that there's a lot of unfinished business there. And I'm not sure there will ever be reconciliation or reunification um, or complete healing um, here's what I want you to know, though, because some of you may have those experiences. Um, I continue to work it through, and God works in it and guides me and lightens the load. You know, when I look back at that time in my life, um, I mean, there are people who I know I hurt. There are people who I know hurt me. And then there are people that I just have no idea where they were with some of my own struggles and my leaving. Sometimes um, we carry that baggage with us. Um, But I can tell you that if you continue to work on it and ask God to be in it, the bag becomes lighter. So, So here's what I mean. So there was a period of my life early on in recovery when the baggage of resentments and hurt that I felt and the shame that I felt was like a huge trunk stuffed full and heavy. I would have needed three other people to help carry it, or a mighty God, right? But it was, the baggage was huge that I was carrying around, and it kept me sick. 
Now, um, I still haven't had reunification or reconciliation with a lot of that. Um, I've, you know, written letters. I've said I'm sorry and all that kind of stuff. But there's, you know, there's still just a lot of unfinished business. And I've come to learn there probably will be till the day I die. The good news is I have continued to kind of work through that time in my life and those issues. And the baggage, the, the, the big crate or the, you know, the big chest that I was trying to lug around is now about the size of this backpack. You thought I was lugging work stuff around all the time. It's actually my, it's actually my stuff, my shame. And, and it, you know, it's not nearly as heavy as it used to be. But here's what I want you to know, but it's still there. It's still there. And I think will be the rest of my life. Some of the pain that you feel, you know, we long for a day where, you know, God, take it away. Um, And what often happens is not that God just takes it away, but that God lightens it. As we learn to deal with it, as we learn to take responsibility, as we learn to, you know, accept what God is doing in our lives, and as we realize that not only, I mean, we talked about this last week, not only um, might God lighten the load, but if you still see that I have a backpack on with some baggage that I'm carrying around, I'll tell you what this points to. It doesn't point to the baggage. It points to that God has lightened the load. We talked about that last week. God lets us bear the scars, and when we see the st- when people see the scars in His name, it points not to the scars and the things you've been through, but to the God who has delivered you through them. You right? And so you know the stuff that we carry, um, you know, it gets better if you keep at it. But you got to keep at it. There's a great verse, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. It says this. Um, so can you go to 2 Corinthians 4-7? Um, um, yeah, go back. No, is that, oh, maybe that's the whole verse. I'm, there we go. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Next, this makes us clear, makes it clear that God that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. In other words, you know, the, the, you know, the, the things that we carry Jesus in, you know, it still has got some cracks and some chips and some scars. But what it does is it points to the goodness of God who's working in our life. All right. Another thing that I've learned um, in my own story is that time changes things. And we learn that in the story of Jacob and Esau. Doesn't necessarily heal all wounds, but time does change things. I love stories of people um, who are stewing about a big amends that they have to make, and they stew for months or years, and then they finally go to make the amends for something that happened in the past, and the other person doesn't even remember it. Happens all the time. Um, a phrase that I use a lot here, um, especially with our staff, when things have become really emotional and difficult, is let's just let the dust settle first. Because I've learned that time sometimes lets us look at things differently, right? Let the dust settle. Jacob goes home years later. 
and the dust has settled. Life has gone on. What was back there is now less important today. Time allows us to think things through, to take responsibility, and to even now and then forget. You know, in 12-step programs, before you make an amends, we're counseled to get you know, advice from people, to work with a sponsor um, before we make an, uh, an amends and to say prayers. And so, you know, let the dust settle, then get good counsel before you go. So one of the other, I, I loved a couple of the answers, well, I loved all the answers to the question, but a couple of them pointed to this. Um, I've learned this as well. If you want um, reunification and reconciliation, keep working on yourself. Keep working on yourself. Man, I have that conversation, I've had that conversation with some of you. I want my kids back. Well, just keep working on yourself. Let God take care of that. Just keep working on yourself. Um, I want, you know, I want my, my marriage to get better. Or I want my relationships to get better. I want to get my, you know, back on, onto, on track with a job or whatever it is. Uh, this, my answer is always the same. Just keep working on yourself. Let God take care of that. Keep working on yourself. Let God take care of that. If you keep doing the right thing, God will do his thing. All right, another lesson uh, that I've learned. Things don't usually go back to how they were before. It's not all rainbows and lollipops, I'm afraid. And um, one, of the, one of the interesting things that I think people miss in the story of Jacob and Esau often comes in the verses after I stopped reading. So if you still have your Bible handy, I'm going to look at verse 16. I think the page numbers, yep, we'll be back up there. And um, I just want to read what happens next. So Jacob, remember, sends Esau on ahead of him. And, um, and he says, you know, I'm going to follow with my family. And then it says in verse 16, so Esau turned around and started back to Sierra that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth, where he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place was named Succoth, which means shelters. Later, having traveled all the way from Padam and uh, Padan Aram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamar, the family, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. Um, man, don't don't miss what it just said. What it said is that there's this like this reconciliation. There's this amends. There's this peace between the brothers. And Esau goes on ahead of Jacob, like, okay, well, I'll go get things ready for you and Jacob doesn't come home. He doesn't come home. He, uh, he thinks, you know, um, that was a wonderful welcome, brother, but, um, you know, after what I did to you, I think I'll settle about 100 miles down the road. Interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. And, um, you know, the dust settles, but time doesn't keep completely heal all wounds. On either part, maybe. Here's the thing. Sometimes reconciliation does not mean reunification. Sometimes reconciliation does not mean reunification. We might make peace and then go our own ways or go on with our lives. 
But what I can promise you is that there's always healing in the journey. Jacob and Esau took care of unfinished business, and it's when we take care of unfinished business that recovery comes and serenity begins. So in, in, uh, in conclusion, in uh, wrapping this up, um, I think I would be very remiss uh, to not say a word about reconciliation and reunification with God. Um, I know that resentments against God are very common. It's very common for us in our journeys here uh, to wonder, God, where were you in the midst of my struggles? Resentments against the church are pretty common here as well, and some of those past hurts run very deep. Shame from the past actions um, can really be overwhelming spiritually because some of us, some of you, have run in some pretty dark places. But what I want you to know is that Jesus shows us it is possible. Jesus shows us that reunification and reconciliation is possible because that is what the story of Jesus is all about. Jesus Jesus runs to you and to me and he reaches out to make things right. And he is here with open arms today. The past, the mistakes, the self-will, the self-destructive actions, the hurtful things that you have done, and the sin that you have been caught in, that is why Jesus came. And that is why he died on the cross. And um, the reality is, is that you and I all probably owe an amends to God in some way or another, but Jesus kind of pays it on our behalf and says, come to me, come to me. That's why I want to tell you every week, God loves you, loves you unconditionally. That's what the whole Jesus thing, that's what the whole Bible thing is about. God loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do today that's going to make him love you more than he did yesterday. Nothing you can do today that's going to make him love you more tomorrow. Let him love you, my friends.